Double demonstrations. There are going to be more trucks over this weekend. More anti-vaccine mandate convoys hitting Vancouver and Victoria. Who's planning what and the weekend traffic disruptions to expect? The virus will continue to evolve, so we need to also continue to evolve. Why Canada's top doctor is now signaling a return to normalcy soon and a new way to deal with the virus. Ambulance availability hits a new low. Nobody should be waiting in their time of need or not get their help through to 911 when they need help. The shocking example of just how maxed out emergency medical response is and what can be done about it. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. The mayor of Vancouver has a blunt message for protests planned this weekend against COVID-19 measures. Vancouver doesn't want you here, he says. Make your point, then go home. Kennedy Stewart's tough talk coming as Vancouver and Victoria prepare for mass disruption on Saturday. Kylie Stanton has our top story tonight. Take that sound and multiply it by roughly 10,000. That's the number of people expected to descend on BC's capital Saturday afternoon. There are going to be more trucks over this weekend and we're seeking justice for all Canadians. The BC legislature now bracing for the protest that's set to begin first thing in the morning in Campbell River and weave its way down Vancouver Island. This is the final destination. The grounds now roped off, CCTV cameras installed as Victoria Police prepares its response. If we see things that are dangerous or unlawful, we will be taking a direct approach. So we'll be de-escalating, as we do with all protests, and where needed, we will be conducting enforcement. During last weekend's protest, the city says there were reports of vandalism, the use of anti-Semitic and racist language, and people violating public health orders, entering businesses without masks, putting employees at risk. Knowing another one is on the way, the mayor issued this warning. There is a right to peacefully gather, uh, and that needs to be balanced with the ability for regular citizens and businesses and for the city to function. But there's no escaping the traffic chaos, and not just in the capital. Vancouver is bracing for it as well. We will have extra officers working uh, to try and mitigate um, the disruptions. The Freedom Convoy started in response to the federal government's vaccine mandate for Canadian cross-border essential workers. Protesters descended on Parliament Hill, putting pressure on politicians who made the rules. And I'm going to stay as long as it takes to change everything. And that appears to be the tactic going forward in Victoria. We're hoping that a, a lot of them will be uh, willing to stay and, and hold out as they are in uh, Ottawa until we've uh, uh, rid ourselves of the uh, mandates and all things COVID. And while the horns are only going to multiply, the provincial government is making some noise as well, sending a message just as loud and clear. The bottom line is this, people have the right to protest. They don't have the right to intimidate. They don't have the right to harass. And so uh, they need to be uh, mindful of that because the police will be out and they will be doing their job. Kylie Stanton, Global News. More and more signs tonight that BC's and Canada's pandemic rules and restrictions are in for some big changes in the coming weeks. That follows comments this morning by Canada's top doctor acknowledging the country will have to come to grips with the new reality of COVID-19. Aaron MacArthur has that story. People are tired. 
two years of restrictions have left everyone worn out. Recent polling data showing Canadians are less satisfied with how governments are managing the pandemic. Friday, a signal from the country's top doctor. Changes are in the works. Theresa Tam saying we are going to have to find a new way to deal with COVID-19. But we do need to have more longer term sustained approaches and, and capacity building so that we're not uh, in crisis mode all the time. Well, the federal government is signaling change that hasn't been discussed with the provinces yet. We haven't engaged on uh, travel issues uh, in the past two engagements with the federal government. Uh, I'll uh, pick that up. I'll see what I can learn about any changes coming. According to the data, cases have peaked for the Omicron wave and restrictions are already being eased. It's not moving fast enough for some provinces, though. The premiers of Saskatchewan and Alberta indicating they will act sooner rather than later to remove many of the measures implemented in December. We have uh, tens of millions of people between Canada and the United States with current Omicron infections. And so the notion that uh, we can interrupt or reduce community transmission uh, through uh, very rigid travel protocols, I think is unrealistic. In B.C., where the province has steered arguably the most minimally restrictive course through the pandemic, according to the data released by Research Co., satisfaction with the government's response remains the highest in the country. Indications suggest the current health orders will be pulled back by the Family Day weekend. As we come to this place of moving in the, in, in the next number of weeks to to potentially endemic rather than pandemic. We need to re reimagine the tools at our disposal. Future waves of COVID might still prove challenging to the healthcare system, but learning to manage the virus and balance public health restrictions will become a key part of the planning process. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Here's a look at BC's last COVID case number update for the week and another day with a double digit death toll. There are 946 people in hospital that is down 39 and the number of patients being treated in ICU is also down to 139. There have been 19 more deaths. There are 25,479 active cases with just under 1800 new cases reported. Well, as this week wraps up, we are getting a clearer picture of BC's current trends in COVID case and hospitalization numbers. To break those numbers down, we've got Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry here with us. So, Keith, what are we seeing? It's interesting. In contrast to what Aaron just reported, we are moving towards lifting restrictions. We're coming out of one of the worst weeks of some of the more serious health indicators since this pandemic began. So here's the week's worth of data. Uh, over the last seven days, 78 people died. That's one of the worst weeks of, in all since the two-year pandemic. 764 hospital cases. Those are people testing positive in hospital, more than 100 a day. 140 ICU cases has been our daily average. It was below 100 a month ago. And I'll end on a, on a cheerier note, our positivity rate is going down just below 20% now. It was a, more than 25% a month ago. So it does seem to be the fact that our hospital cases are starting to stabilize and leveling off. Our ICU number uh, climbed significantly, but then it's leveled off at about 140 and our positivity rate continues to go down. So it does seem we're on track for lifting the restrictions in mid-February, even as Omicron continues to flourish throughout our community. Right. Encouraging signs there for sure. Thanks so much for that, Keith.
Kelowna General Hospital is struggling with a significant surge in Omicron cases. So much so, much of its staff, including frontline healthcare workers, are also falling sick with the virus. Yasmin Gandam with more now on why KGH is over capacity, despite the fact cases in interior health have yet to peak. We've never had so many COVID-positive patients in the hospital as we do currently. Like most, if not all, hospitals in B.C., Kelowna General Hospital is overwhelmed these days. And Dr. Epler would know, working in a busy emergency room. It's actually, despite being a less uh, virulent disease, or less aggressive, causing less illness, it's, just, it's so infectious that it's huge numbers we're seeing right now. Also, a lot of staff are sick with COVID. We didn't didn't see that with the previous uh, waves. Local health officials say despite the high COVID case counts and hospitalizations, the interior still hasn't hit its peak. We know we're a little bit behind the lower mainland where Omicron really started. So we would be expecting to be lagging behind uh, the lower mainland and they, they, they believe they've seen their peak. Still, healthcare workers are strained with hospitals over capacity. Dr. Appler says with many workers falling sick with the virus, the system is incredibly backed up. I've never seen morale as low as this is right now in emergency just because we're so overwhelmed between the number of admitted patients means that we just have, because there's so many patients in the hospital with COVID, that means that patients I see in emergency that need to be admitted, they don't go up to the ward, they stay in emergency, and so it just all backs up. The backup causing surgeries to be cancelled with too many patients and not enough staff. That drove us to reduce some of our services across the interior and specifically in the Kelowna area. We have uh, reduced our surgical uh, slates and that has involved uh, reducing uh, non-urgent uh, elective surgeries which I do need to put in context, are medically necessary, so it was a very difficult decision to make. According to Brown, Kelowna General is sitting at 115% occupancy. Dr. Epler says people who are unvaccinated are largely putting a strain on hospital resources. The numbers are much larger than they need to be because of this number of people that refuse to believe in vaccination, that believe it's unsafe, and it's, it's very safe and it's very effective. And with the peak not quite here yet, things may get a little worse before they get better. Yasmin Gandem, Global News, Kelowna. A billboard on the outskirts of Nelson is turning heads and raising eyebrows. It questions the safety of COVID-19 vaccines and other pandemic safety measures. A complaint about the billboard has been upheld. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, there appears to be little anyone can do. Outside the city of Nelson are greeted by a controversial anti-vaccine billboard. It reads, COVID-19 vaccine, know the dangers. And it says, masks, distancing, lockdowns, are they working? I'm sure whoever designed that billboard thinks that they're doing a good thing. I don't, I don't agree with them. It really does feel manipulative. Yeah, yeah, it's uh I don't really support it, and I think it should be taken down. Concerns about the billboard prompted Matt Wynn to register a complaint with Ad Standards, which manages the Canadian Code of Advertising Standards. I think that adverts like this are, are kind of, they're undermining that glue that holds us together as a society. They're corrosive, and that's what really scares me about them. Ad Standards found the billboard contravenes the advertising code. However, the ruling comes with no enforcement. I respect everybody's right to be free to make choices about whether or not to get vaccinated. Um, but we need to make those choices with 
information that's objectively accurate. Vaccine Choice Canada and Kootenai Freedom are responsible for the billboards. Neither group responded to questions by deadline. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Yet another shocking report tonight in the ongoing crisis involving the shortage of ambulance paramedics in B.C. The union representing paramedics saying things are so bad that for a time on Wednesday morning, the city of Vancouver was down to one available ambulance. Amadagahi tells us why. According to the union representing paramedics in B.C., just last Wednesday, a crew beginning their shift discovered that they were the only staffed ambulance in the entire city of Vancouver at the hour of 6.30 in the morning. Wednesday for, was a little extreme of a day, and um, we understand that the day shift started with uh, significant shortages in the primarily the, the metro Vancouver area, where we... Uh, that's what it was reported to us as well, that there was only one staffed ambulance to start the day. I understand within a short period of time they were up to five or six. The union says at any given point it should be operating with 20 to 30 ambulances in that same area of service. This is, you know, a, a big challenge for us and it's uh, definitely... Uh, uh, disturbing when we hear that this is continuing. Staffing shortages continue to slow response by BC Ambulance Service, a situation made worse during the pandemic and also with increased call volumes largely fueled by the overdose crisis. Paramedics are burning out and recruitment is a challenge. Earlier this week, Bowen Island residents joined by its mayor, the fire department voiced their frustrations after learning their community had been without ambulance service on multiple occasions since December. We want to see full-time, 24-hour-a-day service from BC Ambulance, and uh, there has been some instances in the last uh, month or so where we haven't been seeing that. BC Emergency Health Services cited a shift to new staffing models and trouble recruiting paramedics to fill vacancies in explaining the gap in service there. Okay, Bob, I'm, I'm filming now. And this example, just last month when it took six hours for paramedics to arrive and take a fallen and immobilized senior just six blocks from the West End to St. Paul's Hospital. I didn't think it was to that degree that we were already, that things had broken down to this degree. Now, it is important to note that BC Emergency Health Services says that it is incorrect to claim there was only one ambulance available for Vancouver last Wednesday morning, adding uh, that, again, response from ambulance can cross municipal boundaries. And at that given time, on that given day, there were 40 ambulances available for service in the Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley areas. Imadagahi, Global News. Still ahead, a Nanaimo woman's shocking discovery three days after mysterious mud showed up on her front seat. You'll find it hard to believe what she found in her car trunk. That's next on the News Hour. Bringing back what doesn't exist anymore for black futures and community. The effort to reinvigorate what was once a black business, culture and community hub in Vancouver and how you can help. Also ahead, lifting the lockdown on high school sports, why BC Youth Club tournaments are allowed to resume. But right now, Delta police are investigating a fatal shooting after shots rang out in the dead of night. It's believed to be targeted and no risk to the public. It happened at a home in the 1800 block of 92nd Avenue around 2 Friday morning. One man has been killed. People who live in the neighborhood provided Global News with footage of an emergency response team at the home with police dogs and guns drawn on Wednesday afternoon. Police say they're well acquainted with both the victim and the home and neighbors are unsettled. 
The VPD's hate crime unit is investigating yet another troubling incident in Chinatown. Shortly after midnight, patrol officers noticed that the lion statues in front of the Chinese Cultural Center on Columbia Street had been defaced with explicit writing and symbols. It's not the first time something like this has happened. It's being described as just another senseless act targeting those who live and work in the Chinatown neighborhood. This community has gone through so much over the past few months and really since the beginning of the pandemic uh, from all the hate crimes um, that have been a target to the East Asian uh, or those of East Asian descent and, and the, just the general urban decay of the community. So something like this is just another troubling incident. At this point, police have not released a description of any suspect or suspects. Well, few people can say they've driven around for three days and failed to notice a naked stowaway in the trunk of their car, but a Nanaimo woman can. And while she's laughing about it now, the discovery, she says, was terrifying. Why are you in my trunk and are you naked? Yeah. What? It's a rite of passage. Wow. Earlier this week, Bethany Coker noticed mud in the front seat of her car. She says the obvious conclusion was someone had been sleeping in her vehicle. She cleaned the upholstery and moved on. Then three days later, she noticed the windows were fogged up and heard a voice say, hey, that's when she found the naked man in her trunk. I got terrified. I slammed the door closed and I booked it back to work. I actually have a video of me running and I run up to the first guy I see and I'm like, George, like there's someone in my trunk, like there's someone in my car. He immediately runs out from underneath the vehicle he's in and we book it to my car and he's like, holy crap, call the cops. So uh, it was probably the most hysterical call I've ever been on. The cops were like, what do you mean he's been in your trunk for three days? And I was like, he's been in my trunk for three days, please hurry up. Now, police say the man has significant health issues and he's now in a place where he can receive the help he needs. Still ahead, Ottawa's ramped up response. We're deploying a surge of police officers in the downtown. The new police strategy as protesters vow to stay in the nation's capital. And Premier Horgan's health care plea, how much he says the feds need to share in the soaring costs. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. You're going to see just pockets of volume left over eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Ottawa police say an enhanced strategy will be put in action to contain the anti-vaccine mandate protesters in our nation's capital. We're deploying a surge of police officers in the downtown and the immediate neighborhoods. There will be approximately 150 additional officers dedicated to only patrolling and addressing unlawful, threatening conduct in the most impacted neighborhoods. 
Police will be utilizing heavy equipment barricades and concrete barriers to further isolate the protest in the red zone in front of Parliament Hill. They also are calling on city residents to report any unlawful activity. Additional officers deployed will be focusing on acts of mischief, hate, harassment, intimidation and other threatening behaviors. Police are also considering closing highway off ramps and bridges. Police residents and business owners in Canada's biggest city are bracing for the planned arrival of that anti-vaccine mandate convoy. As Sean O'Shea reports, Toronto police seem to have learned some lessons from the situation in Ottawa and are taking steps to limit the protest's impact. A day before the planned truckers' protest, police here used advance notice to their advantage. Truckers thought they'd be able to drive to Queen's Park to air their grievances or honk their horns. That won't be allowed. Roads around the Ontario legislature have been closed off. Police have been placed on point duty to prevent vehicle access near the grounds. They've also shut down regular traffic on University Avenue from College Street in the north to Queen Street in the south, all part of the plan to keep trucks far away. It is my hope if people are determined to gather to protest this weekend in our city of Toronto, that a commitment to respectful, peaceful protest will be demonstrated again. At a press conference, police wouldn't comment on the numbers of officers deployed here on the weekend, but there will be many more uniformed ones recording what they see. Officers assigned to respond to protect activity have been directed to have their body-worn cameras turned on for the duration of the event. Police here say they've learned lessons from the truckers' protest in Ottawa that's dragged on for a week. Residents there are furious. Toronto's tactics appear quite different. The Toronto Police Mounted Unit made an advance appearance. Horses are often used to deal with large crowds. Buses have been brought in to block access routes. But with no protest trucks or any vehicles allowed anywhere near the Provincial Parliament building, the truckers' original plan to drive here and protest will likely have to change. Toronto's police chief says those who come out will be expected to leave this weekend, meaning they won't be allowed to set up camps. And he says police are monitoring the truckers' channels for clues about what to expect examining social media, all in, uh, intelligence that is available. And based on the information we have, we will respond. A day after Premier Doug Ford said God bless the protesters, he offered a slightly different view today. Any harassment or acts of hatred or acts of violence uh, will have zero tolerance. Now, online fundraising platform GoFundMe will not be forwarding more than $10 million that has been pledged to the so-called Freedom Convoy. Two days after placing the fundraiser under review, GoFundMe says after discussion with Ottawa police and city officials, they've determined what began as a peaceful demonstration has become a violent occupation and is in violation of its terms of service. GoFundMe says no further funds will be distributed to convoy organizers. Donors can ask for a refund and all remaining funds will be given to credible charities. Coming up, Premier's push for federal funding for our medical system. We all agree we need a rebalancing of funding to ensure that we can provide the services that people depend upon. Their calls to renew the partnership of public health care in Canada. Plus, how measures to slow the spread of Omicron contributed to a record spike in job losses. Two lanes both ways over here at Highway 99 in the Massey Tunnel. Just minimal delays southbound through the tunnel from about Steveston. 
Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. There has been no greater strain on our health care system than the COVID-19 pandemic. And now BC Premier John Horgan is joining premiers from across the country to ask Ottawa for additional funding for health care. Richard Zussman has more. They have asked and asked before, but at a time where health care has never been more prominent in our collective lives, Canada's premiers are finally hoping to get an answer from the federal government on increasing health care transfers. We need a significant long-term increase in funding from the federal government to meet the challenges of coming out of the pandemic. When Canada adopted national health care in 1960, the provinces in Ottawa split the bill 50-50. Now, in the worst case scenario, the federal government picks up 22% of the costs and the province covers 78%. That means the provinces are picking up the rest of that funding, and that is not sustainable. We all agree we need a rebalancing of funding. Ottawa's not yet responded to these pleas. However, there is an open-ended commitment to address these concerns post-pandemic. The premiers are insistent money is needed now for wait time, staffing shortages, and new equipment. No one knowing this better than Premier John Horgan, considering this is his first press conference since months of cancer treatments. Pandemic or no pandemic, those healthcare professionals provide a quality service that is not sustainable in its current model. I saw that on the faces of nurses, on doctors, healthcare providers, care aides. We need help to be coming on the horizon. There are comparisons to be made. Ottawa has worked with each province to create a childcare funding model and was quick to support workers with federal COVID support. Now it's healthcare's turn. It is as Canadian as hockey. It separates us from our, our neighbours to the south. Public health care is precious to us all, but it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be stewarded, and it needs an influx of cash. An influx of cash that could cost billions of dollars. And the even bigger question is what would Ottawa move around to find all that money? Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. As Omicron spread and new COVID restrictions shut down restaurants and gyms in January, Canada's labour market took a nosedive and a record number of workers called in sick. Anne Gaviola has the story. One in ten workers were out sick in January. That eye-popping number from Statistics Canada giving us the first look at the Omicron wave's impact on the labour market. Once again, the most vulnerable were hardest hit. Those low-wage workers are still very unlikely to have paid sick leave. And so they're more likely to be off sick, but less likely to be paid for. The Canadian economy lost 200,000 jobs in January. The unemployment rate climbed to 6.5%, up from 6% in December, as fresh restrictions during the Omicron wave kicked in. Most of January's job losses were in Ontario and Quebec, the two provinces with the strictest COVID measures. No surprise, most of the losses were in hospitality, with sports arenas, restaurants and other venues shut down or restricted. And now if we think that people are going to want to return to the hospitality industry with zero job security. Chair Decor supplies linens and accessories for weddings. Revenue dries up every time COVID restrictions take effect. Owner Liz Clark says staffing is her biggest challenge. Many workers have left the hospitality and food services sector after rounds of layoffs and uncertainty. 
a lot of workers have found jobs in other industries. And we can understand why, because they all, they all have rent to pay. Uh, they have families and, and they need a little bit more stability. Canada still has nearly one million job vacancies, and this economist says immigration needs to be a priority to help fill that void. But with labor shortages around the world, workers have a lot of options. Canada risks losing out on talent, on workers in healthcare, and food services, and transportation that we really desperately need. Combine inflation running hotter than the Bank of Canada's target with a labor market losing momentum. And most economists expect the smallest of rate hikes from the Bank of Canada in early March. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Still ahead, BC's ban on school sports tournaments is lifted. I think what it really speaks to is the significance, the scope, the importance of high school sport. The deliberation behind the decision and what it means to parents, coaches and student athletes. But first, fundraising for Vancouver First, the dream of a library hub in Hogan's Alley. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, 637 senior meteorologist Christy Gordon is joining us now for a look at the forecast. And Christy, my social media feed tells me I missed quite the sunset and rainbow combo tonight. Oh. Oh, yes, actually, yeah. So what we had was a little sliver of, of light because there was quite some dark clouds. And so as the sun was making its way through there, it really created a beautiful sunset. And then also a rainbow appeared. Yes. Um, I don't have those photos, unfortunately, in YouTube, but I do have another photo to show you of what I pretty cool as well a snow roller in the Chilliwack area so when you get snow on say a windshield like this uh, what happens when the temperature either warms or if you get a little bit of rain or even a little bit of freezing rain uh, but uh, sort of that has melted not freezing rain sleet uh, what can happen is that the blanket of snow or the snow acts more like a blanket can actually roll down the windshield so thank you Brenda for sharing that with us uh, very cool and I love seeing all your photos by the the way of all the various things that are going on. Now we still are expecting some snow in the Columbia, Kootenai region and up towards Vailmont through the overnight period and significant snow on the Coquihalla and Allison Pass. Both have a snowfall warning for tonight. Tomorrow we are going to see a clearing trend, lots of sunshine lining up perfectly for the weekend. We do have another system that's going to drive onto the north coast on Sunday, but it really only impacts the coastal regions and for the most part areas are going to see uh, some sunshine. Just a quick look at the Mounts for the Columbia Kootenai region. Again, we're talking about five to 10 centimeters of snow, but it's the highways that are going to be mostly impacted with the Coquihalla expecting the majority of it again overnight, but it will ease through the morning hours tomorrow. Meanwhile, let's have a look at your forecast. A huge warm up across the province. Most areas have been entrenched in the cold for several days. We are going to see temperatures now climb back up above seasonal with that sunshine tomorrow and more of a push from the west. So for us, eight degrees is just slightly above seasonal. We are expecting cloud cover tomorrow, so don't expect to wake up to sunshine. We'll see it in the morning and then some sunshine expected later on. Same for Sunday, a bit of fog possibly in the morning and then sunshine later on. So no rain in the forecast at this point now until Monday, uh, although it is still a little rainy right now. It just it, We need to get through the next few hours and then no rain in the forecast. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from Victoria. This is uh, from Fatima, uh, Fatima. Sorry, thank you so much. 
much. Beautiful shot of her dog looking out over the water. And I loved the composition with the rock or the um, log lines of that with the with the dog there. So thanks. Looks so like much an extension of the tail. That. I love that. All right. Thanks yeah. so much for that, Christy. Well, a UBC student is spearheading a drive to mark Black History Month by raising enough money to establish a black library in Vancouver. As Paul Johnson reports, she hopes the facility will help reestablish a neighborhood of spots for the city's black community more than 50 years after a legendary black neighborhood was demolished to make way for roads. Hogan's Alley was a very frequently visited black neighborhood in Canada before the Georgia Viaduct was built. Take a walk with Maya Preshawn around the neighborhood that once was Hogan's Alley. She can show you some of the landmarks, like the home on this block where Jimi Hendrix's grandmother once lived and where the guitar god frequently hung out. Hogan's Alley was really just a vibrant community neighborhood, the same way that we have Commercial Drive as Little Italy. But while the Drive, Chinatown, and Vancouver's various other enclaves mostly aged in place, the city's only black neighborhood was torn down and dispersed to make way for the Georgia Viaduct in 1970 came close to being erased from history as well. I am a black person in Vancouver and I was never taught about what happened with Hogan's Alley. So Preshawn came up with an idea. Why not create a library to gather all the materials that tell the story of Hogan's Alley and of the black experience in Canada? And also create the kind of community hub that you see in other big cities like Toronto, but not yet in Vancouver a community gathering space. It's going to be a place that people can study, a place that people can chill. Preshawn and her collaborators initially set out to raise about $6,000. But when their GoFundMe campaign popped to seven grand way faster than they thought, they set their sights higher. Now hoping for $35,000, enough to get a lease on a space and hopefully become a magnet for materials that go beyond the story of Hogan's Alley. We have a priority on books, literature, works that are written by black authors, um, put an emphasis and importance on the black experience. While those original residents of Hogan's Alley may have never expected their community would be torn down, you also couldn't predict that 50 years later, Someone like Maya Preshawn would be working to put it back on the map in a different way. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Oh, what a great initiative. All right, Squire, before we preview what's coming up in sports, let's go straight to Jackpool Plaza in Vancouver, where the Olympic cauldron has been lit once again. This happened just about 40 minutes ago, of course, uh, to support all the Canadian athletes and Paralympians who are in Beijing. It's going to be lit from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. every night until March 4th. I cannot believe it's been 12 years since 2010. I know. I was going to ask you, did, did Wayne Gretzky drive down yeah. in the back of a pickup <laughs> truck and light that thing? Yeah, this feels very nostalgic, but it's not. Nothing like that. I remember that. Very rainy night, and they thought the streets would be fairly empty, but everybody in the bars along the way was were watching the opening ceremonies and realized Gretzky was driving in. by, and they all piled out <laughs> in the street. So that was fun. Uh, athletes and coaches, like Burnaby South basketball coach Mike Bell, are very happy that schools will be able to hold tournaments starting immediately. So for them to get to have that experience, and now we're moving forward and we have, we're like, we're going to have the tournament. It's 
It's uplifting. Yeah, this was after schools were not allowed last year because of the pandemic. And stick around because it is Friday. You know what that means? Satellite debris also ahead on the news hour. We're not going to share what story I just told about That was a good story about the driving range. Let's focus on hockey, shall we? What do you have for us tonight? All right. Uh, Thatcher Demko is in Las Vegas for All-Star Weekend. The uh, games are tomorrow. Then it's back to work next week as all the teams start to uh, play those games that they have to make up because of all the ones they postponed because of COVID. Tonight it was the skills competition, lots of different skills competitions. Here's one with Thatcher Demko in it. It's the save streak event. You're trying to make as many saves in a row without being scored on. He stopped Kale McCarr but gave one up to Jordan Cairo. The Atlantic Division goalies won this event with Andre Vasilevsky and Jack Campbell. Fastest skater is always fun. Jordan Cairo of the Blues set the standard 38.8K. So... Everybody's waiting to see what Connor McDavid's going to do. So can Connor McDavid beat that time? He's won this event three times before. Well, he can certainly skate fast, but tonight he was not quite as fast as Kairou. No. Kairou wins. Barely beats McDavid. He can't even believe it. Six of the next seven games of the Vancouver Canucks are on home ice. Abbotsford is in the midst of a homestand as well. Last night, tonight they play. Next Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, all at home for the baby Canucks, who are above 500 right now, but they have lost their last two in a row. The Vancouver Whitecaps acquire 20-year-old midfielder Sebastian Burhalter from Columbus for $50,000 in allocation money. He'll uh, join up with the Whitecaps, who have now moved their training camp from UBC to San Diego. Burhalter, incidentally, is the son of the U.S. men's national team coach, Greg Burhalter. He's a defensive midfielder. He has some upside, and he does come cheap right now. Uh, well, it looked pretty iffy earlier this week, but now B.C.'s high schools can hold the sports tournaments that so many kids and so many families look forward to every year. Count it down, 2-1, and that will do it. The Burnaby South Rebels are the champions. This is the kind of celebration that lasts a lifetime for a high school athlete, winning a provincial championship with your teammates in a big league setting. Burnaby South Rebels won the last provincial basketball tournament held in 2020. Last year, the tournament was canceled. This year, it's back, avoiding heartbreak for another graduating class. It was an extreme relief and just excitement. You can feel it in the gym, God. Just an uplifting experience. Just, everyone was so ecstatic to have that news come. We're going to have the tournament. It's, it's uplifting. The provincial government did give the go-ahead to allow school tournaments, but they certainly got a friendly push. A 13,000-name petition helped show how much these experiences mean to the kids and all involved in school sports. Student-athletes, parents, coaches, school officials, you know, everybody um, kind of came together and, you know, communicated some of the concerns and frustrations, and I think that was, you know, uh, helpful in understanding why it was important for this to move forward. 
It's definitely been a challenging year. Longtime Riverside girls coach Paul Langford has seen pretty much his entire team catch COVID. He's had some quit because of all of the restrictions and cancellations. But now there's hope for a great ending to the season. As always in sports, perseverance pays off. You know, the kids that are hanging through and the coaches that are hanging through, it's what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I guess, but it, it's been really tough. As of right now, no fans are allowed in the stands, but that could change. The provincial basketball championships are still a month away, and there's hope that by that time, they will hear the roars of the crowd. It's all a vibe. you got all four tournaments there for the boys, so it's every team's watching, every team. You can watch any games, the best of the best in the province. Um, it has everything you basically need. The kids get the pre-game videos for the finals. It's, it's an outstanding experience. These are the glory days. These are the, these are the great years. Your high school years, you'll, you'll remember for good and bad. You'll remember the fun times, the losing, the winning. And, and these are crucial times. You can never get these back. All right, AT&T, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. This is uh, Sun Kang. Apparently he doesn't like this shot, or his club for that matter. But the shot actually isn't that bad. It's on the green. I wouldn't have broke my club over that, but I guess when you're a pro, he wasn't close enough to the hole. Uh, Nick Taylor of Abbotsford sinking the birdie putt here, tied for 37th at minus five. They never took any pictures of Adam Svensson of Surrey. He's in second at minus 11, five back of uh, Seamus Power, who has the lead. And there you go. Had no idea it's not easy to break a golf club. All right, thanks for that, Squire. Stay tuned. Satellite Debris is next. Squire's here for Satellite Debris. I have been in the mood for some potato chips. Got oh, any suggestions? All right. Uh, well, I actually do. I have both uh, potato chips and Doritos Ooh, okay. in this uh, first segment. Here we go. Teaser. We're doing a teaser for the commercial. Yeah. We're teasing commercials now? Yeah. That's a thing? Right, like a movie trailer. Yeah, but I mean, the commercial's incredibly short in the first place. How long is the teaser? Oh, it's really... <laughs> I think it's the word he's looking for. Now, this, of course, Super Bowl is next weekend, so some commercials are being released early. That one was a teaser. Ah, okay. uh, two here, one from Italy for a Costa Cruises and another Super Bowl commercial being released early. Leo, where are we Casa? 
Then I saw her face Now I'm a believer The leave your eyes. People are wondering. What's gotten into Lindsay? She's never been sharper. This basketball star married himself in 1996. Who is Dennis Rodman? Correct. Son of a. She's sleeping better than ever, which the paparazzi aren't thrilled about. I miss Lindsay. She's even more productive, trading DUIs for DIY. The verdict is gorgeous. Maybe it's not what's gotten into Lindsay. It's what Lindsay's gotten into. Hey, William. Planet Fitness. Get glowing and feel spectacular. And last but not least, one from last year's Super Bowl from Rocket Mortgage. Can we even afford this house? I'm pretty sure we can. Pretty sure. With Rocket Mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. Pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. I'm pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you can take Batista down. You're on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Let's go with certain. Good choice. When you're buying a home, pretty sure isn't sure enough. When you need to be certain about how much home you can afford, Rocket can. Hi, neighbor. I'll hold the dog. Not again! <laughs> By next week, there'll be more Super Bowl commercials to I'm sure at. there will you be. <laughs> All right, continuing with the promo trend, Christy, quick final look at the forecast. Sure, enjoy the sunshine today. You'll wake up to some cloud, but it will come, I promise. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for joining us all. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11.